fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. We do that. We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. With me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Well, great to be here as always, Dan. I'm just really hoping gravity doesn't reverse on me while we're recording. I think that would just be dangerous and would make me feel sick. It would look really cool, though, if you were standing upside down and like, you know, like Batman hanging down doing the, the podcast. I would love that. Um, but, you know, is it possible? That's a good question. I think we need to talk to our enigmatic engineer, Ben Seepser. Ben, where are you broadcasting from this week? Dan, I'm here overlooking Hong Kong Island, and there's reports that a Titan is on its way to the area, and we need to take shelter. Be careful out there, Ben, because, you know, this we need you for not only for the show, but to, I worry about your safety. You you really put yourself into a lot of compromising situations, and I appreciate your commitment to the show. Uh, so let's get right into this. You know, we're talking about podcasts. We're talking about your commitment, Ben. And what better way to start the show by saying that Godzilla versus Kong. I don't think I need to explain to anyone what Godzilla versus Kong is as a movie. But what I do need to mention is that the first thing we see is an underground podcast. I, I love that as a theme for the show. Um, and I think, you know, I don't know if we would get to that underground status, but I'm curious, Denon, do you think that we're close as far as popularity goes? Well, it really depends because it's unclear in the show whether he has only the one listener or if other people are actually listening to him. So I really hope if it's the one listener, we're more popular than that. Um, underground doesn't necessarily mean popular, and it could mean no one's listening. Um, and I know we're way more popular than that. <laughs> we're way more popular than an audience of one. I'm going to go with you on that, Denon. Um, but speaking of audiences of one, remember we did, you know, we're talking about Titans here, but remember we did a great Fascinating Fights episode on King Kong. We had him fighting the Stay Puffed Marshmallow Man. In some ways, I think that was a much more interesting conversation than this one, only if not for nothing else than the stickiness. Now, Ben, you weren't involved in that conversation, but what do you think about the great King Kong taking on the mushy marshmallow stay puff marshmallow man you know it, it's a challenge i really would worry about king kong really being able to land a real uh good blow on stay puffed i mean he's so squishy as long as uh it's like punching a sponge you know can you really hurt that i don't think so well you know ben ben made the critical error that i made dan um, as a novice early on in fascinating fights, mm -hmm. totally overlooking the fact that Kong could just eat the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Um, and that is the best form of attack against any marshmallow <laughs> giant um, is a solid stomach. <laughs> I think that's right. And, I, you know, we had a, lot, a really interesting conclusion there. Um, I loved that conversation. And I want to ask you guys really quickly before we get into this. I've got to ask you, what do you guys, when you were weighing in before seeing this movie, you got Godzilla versus Kong. They are pretty evenly matched. Um, not as much fun as Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, but definitely more of a slugfest. Uh, Denon, who were you siding on when you first turned on this movie? Well, this is one of those moments that was sadly ironic. I was really... Totally assuming Godzilla would win until I started watching the movie and realized I was thinking of the cartoon Godzilla I remember watching with laser beam eyes. Um, now, this Godzilla does have a projectile breath. Um, so early on, I, the projectile weapon creatures do tend to have an advantage. Um, so that's where I was leaning. Um, as I learned more about Khan, I, Kong, I gained a personal sort of bond with him. And he moved up in my uh, like sort of space of wanting him to win. But that was desire, not necessarily rational thought. Yeah, I think 
it's tough. I mean, if you look at just the animals, it seems Godzilla's a lot stronger. He's got these horrible spiky spikes on his back. He's got, uh, you know, the, the dragon breath. But, you know, Kong's, I think, he to some degree, he's got the intelligence. He's got the heart, and he's got the tool use. And, you know, tools often trump uh, all sorts of uh, animal powers that otherwise just uh, you can't top. Well, I think, you know, and also his tool is made out of one of Godzilla's spikes. So there's, you know, it almost takes away the advantage there. Uh, But I got to tell you, when I'm looking at this, I got a Godzilla can breathe underwater. uh, And some of these fights take place underwater. You know, he's got that projectile weapon you mentioned, Denon. He's got the spikes that you mentioned, Ben. And apparently in this movie, he punches as hard as King Kong. I mean, I'm normally on Team Primate, but I kind of went with Godzilla on this one. Um, But before we get into this, I want to tell you a quick history here. You know, in 1962, that was the pre previous Godzilla versus King Kong. And this was a great movie because this was almost like a proxy culture war between Japan and the United States. And it's well publicized. So people listening to this may think to themselves, well, if rumors are correct, the Jap- the original Japanese version of this had Godzilla winning. The original American version had King Kong winning. That is a much publicized rumor that was that was popularized in the 1960s. That is not true. Both versions of the film have the same ending and King Kong wins. And you guys are going to love this because the ending was decided very much in the same way that a pro wrestling match is decided because King Kong was considered the fan favorite, the big draw. Godzilla was the bad guy. So that's kind of how they determined that King Kong was going to win. Spoiler alert. Sorry about that. Um, and the actors in the suits that played Godzilla and King Kong fashioned their moves on a pro wrestler named Toya Nabari. Uh, they copied his moves. I love this. You know I love pro wrestling. Denon, does that change how you feel about the old movie or the new one? Not really, but it's exciting facts. I mean, it changes because now I know something um, that I didn't know before. That's always right. a good thing to gain knowledge. Um, but yeah, no, it's an, it's, it's an interesting thing. I, I really was fascinated by in the new movie how they handled the fights because there's always this issue of how do you handle two people that are supposedly unbeatable. And I really do like what they did. And I like what Ben brought in about the tools. So Ben, I don't know if if the tool use in this is what wins you over compared to the older movies. In addition to the tool use, you also just got to give it to the opposable uh, thumbs of Kong. You know, Godzilla is, is certainly intelligent. And he probably could use tools if he had hands that would let him. Uh, that's his real problem. He doesn't have the right biology to uh, get beyond his own uh, his own fighting skills that are built into his body. Well, you know, and that's an important point here because we're talking about biology and we're talking about giant monsters. And there's a lot of physics, there's a lot of biology that goes into this. And, you know, when we see these guys, we see a giant ape, we see a giant whatever Godzilla is, we'll discuss what he actually is, but they're big. We can all agree that they're big. This, these are not the first giant monsters that ever existed in fiction, but they're also not the largest creatures that have ever existed in reality. You know, there are several gigantic creatures that have actually existed on Earth. Um, one of the scariest, of course, is the Megalodon, which is the gigantic shark that existed in prehistoric times. This was about a 34 to 60 foot shark. Its mouth was about the size of a basketball court, about 10 feet wide, and it could eat Two people basically standing side by side. All right, I got some interesting facts for you guys. I want you to tell me what you think about this. The bite force 
of a uh, of a of a megalodon was about 108 to 100 182,000 newtons. Uh, and for people listening, if that's Greek to you, the great white shark is about 18,000 newtons, and a human is about 1,300 newtons. I don't know about newtons, but when you're looking at a factor of about 1,000, that's a pretty strong bite. I'm guessing, then you wouldn't want to get bit by any of these types of things, even the human, especially if they were a zombie. Definitely not. And I would like to point out, though, Dan, I love that you picked this fact, because people should go back and watch our Goonies episode this just confirms my statement that the jaws are the best clamp to make for holding yourself up from things. Just a little aside there, you've just proven my point, um, and I want that on record. But, you know, that aside, it, 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 it is incredible how much stronger the bite force can get as these creatures get larger. And it does make it interesting when you look at Godzilla's structure. His mouth looks small, but I think that's just because his body is so large. Right. And what we have to realize is that is a much bigger mouth than we think. And so there is probably a lot of bite force coming from Godzilla. That's right. I think Godzilla clearly would have a very strong bite, but it really seems like he doesn't favor it. He really seems to be more of a punchy, fire breathy, dig his claws into you kind of a monster. Whereas Kong really does seem like he would and could bite you. You know, he doesn't seem to try to bite Godzilla, but he certainly bites uh, some of the other monsters uh, we see. So I really think that again, goes back to this intelligence thing. You know, Kong is using all all parts of his body equally for his fights, whereas Godzilla really seems to seems to focus more on a limited amount of his of his capability. Well, I wonder, Ben, what's happening there, maybe. I just had this thought. And Dan, I'm curious in your analysis on this, because you pay way more attention than I do to these little details. It, it occurred to me that even though Godzilla's mouth is bigger than it looks, it may not open sufficiently wide to be a deadly weapon and may be used more just for eating. Because when we think of creatures, their bite is deadly. you you got to open it wide enough to wrap around the thing you're trying to fight. Kong is big. If he can't get his mouth open enough, it's not going to do damage no matter how strong the force is. What do you think of that, Dan? Well, I think that's an interesting point. And I also have to tell you, on the list of offensive weapons that Godzilla has, his bite is probably way down on the list. He's got gigantic nuclear-powered spikes. He's got atomic breath. Uh, I think that these, you know, tend, and even his punching, he tends to be a little more punchy than than uh, bitey. And I, those are technical terms, by the way. The MMA fighters typically use those those terminologies if you're not familiar with them. Uh, and I think that maybe that's, you know, kind of where he's going with that. The atomic power, I think, would be his number one thing. Um, but the size, you know, we mentioned the size. That's important. And I also want to give you just, you know, if we're looking at the Megalodon, that's a, you know, a gigantic creature. And of course, most people know that the blue whale, which currently exists, is the largest creature ever to exist. Uh, ben, you pointed that out to me. I don't think I really was aware. I actually thought the Megalodon was bigger, but it's not. You know, uh, a blue whale is about 10 stories. It's about 100 feet long. It would rival the traditional size of Godzilla or King Kong. So biologically, it's very similar. That's right, Dan. The blue whale is just an amazing creature. You know, we have these imaginations of like the Brachiosaurus or the Patasaurus of uh, dinosaur times being just the biggest creatures ever, but we're we're kind of privileged that we get to experience the largest animal ever to exist, this blue whale. You know, it weighs 100 tons, which is huge, but it's nothing compared to the thousands to tens of thousands of tons that uh, Godzilla and King Kong are. 
Well, and the other thing, you know, and the other thing that's amazing is when you look at these kind of side by side, the the blue whale's tongue is the size of an elephant. I mean, <laughs> that's huge. If that doesn't give you any kind of idea. And the thing here, the thing I really want to mention, the key thing here is their biology holds up at that size, at that, you know, at that that weight. Because in the water, they're very buoyant. Obviously, the blue whale is a marine mammal. But you're looking at, you know, Godzilla. And Godzilla is kind of, you know, and, and has amphibious features. But King Kong, for sure, is a terrestrial creature. The thing that actually kills beached blue whales most often is that their their death is caused by the crushing of their internal organs under their sheer under their sheer girth. Uh, that's a lot to say. It's a lot to comprehend, uh, and that's really the scary part. So my question is, uh, Denon, how did the physics hold up for something this large with the effects of gravity on it at you know hundreds of tons standing you know. 30 feet tall, uh, as King Kong does. How does this, this gravity affect their, their biology? Well, fundamentally, the first thing you expect is for Kong to be crushed under his own weight. Um, and this is just a fundamental scaling law of things. If you increase its overall size, its mass is increasing as the cube of that size, whereas the width of its bones are only going, um, the cross-sectional area of its bones is only going up as the square. And strength is proportional to area. So the bone should get crushed, all things being equal. So you have a couple of different options. You can imagine him being incredibly dense. You can imagine his bones being made out of a different material to stay strong enough. Um, But, of course, our listeners all know where I'm going with this. Most likely, if he's going to be successful at all, you need an incredibly clever foam structure um, to save yourself Um, with extra strength and less weight. Um, And if you think about it, it's kind of what we do to build skyscrapers. It's all about the structure and the way the materials are designed to interact with each other and support the forces, not the actual overall material, because we're stuck with steel and concrete no matter what we build. Um, There is also the fact that he then has to move and other features. There's a whole lot of other physics that goes wrong or is dangerous. But if we start just with mass and strength, um, there are some interesting engineering things there that maybe, Ben, you can take us to that next level with. Well, I'm, I'm really glad you brought up skyscrapers because skyscrapers are a great analog here. You know, if you think about the complexity of a skyscraper in terms of engineering versus the complexities of, say, a two-story house, it's just enormously more complex. You know, just the logistics of operating in a skyscraper are just so much more. And the same would be true for an animal. You know, a skyscraper, in order to get water to the residents on the top floor, needs pumps and tanks and all these extra uh, systems. You need elevators to get people up and down. You need extra electrical equipment. You need to dedicate all of this space in the skyscraper just to the logistics of the building even existing, and much more so than you would equivalently for a smaller house. And the same would be true for Kong. You would need to have uh, much larger uh, hearts or you need a much larger heart because now you're fighting gravity over hundreds of feet instead of say 10 feet with like a large terrestrial animal. And so you just, the, the problems just increase exponentially. Well, I think you, it's interesting you bring up hearts because that is a very, it's there's a fun scene in the movie where they shock, you know, Kong, they shock his heart back. And so he comes back into action. Uh, And so you would have to do, you know, you'd have to have a a current that's strong enough to get through. If he's got this gigantic heart that's pumping all this blood, I imagine it requires a lot of energy. Uh, Ben, I know you probably put together some kind of calculation as to how much energy this would take. That's right, Dan. Thankfully, the movie tells us how much power it is. We know that the anti-gravity car has enough power to power 
Vegas for a week. So we know we can figure that out. That's 1300 gigawatt hours. This is enough power, enough energy to uh, give a trillion gorillas a normal uh, defibrillator shock. So it's an enormous amount of power. And clearly that tells us that maybe something more is going on there. Don't you think, Denon? Well, yeah. When you look at this, Dan, um, there's no way that God's, uh, Godzilla, actually Kong, we're, we're starting Kong, um, just to be clear. But it's, it holds for Godzilla, too. Sure, sure. Um, there is... There is no way that Kong is the equivalent of a trillion terrestrial gorillas, however you slice or dice them. Um, and let's not start slicing and dicing them. But what you do have, I mean, some of this maybe is going to slightly higher resistance. I said his skin or material is different. But at the core, we learn that these titans have a power source underneath them. There is all this glowing blueness around. And so I suspect if the numbers are accurate, and since Ben gave them to me, I'm assuming they're accurate. They always are then you've got a certain amount going into his heart and a certain amount recharging him as a titan so that he can actually come back stronger than ever. After all, right after this, he reconnects his dislocated shoulder, and we know that's not easy to do. No, we, we definitely know that. And, you know, I was watching this, and I don't know if I'm sure people have seen the movie Pulp Fiction, and so there's a scene where someone gets an adrenaline shot right into the heart, which kind of has the same uh, the same uh, results, I guess. So I did, I pulled I pulled a Ben here, I got some calculations for you. So if they were going to use an epinephrine slash adrenaline shot right into Kong's heart to get him up and jazzed, it takes three milligrams uh, for the average human, about 200 pounds to do that. Godzilla is about, or I'm sorry, King Kong did the same thing you did there, Denon. King Kong is about 8.4 million pounds, uh, so he would need roughly about a quarter of a pint of adrenaline to get his heart jacked up. I thought the number would be much higher. It's very small, but that's great because actually this seems like a much more, an easier and much more cost-effective way to get him to get him jazzed up and ready to fight Godzilla than it would be to take all the power from Las Vegas for a day. Uh, I don't know. I don't, what, do you, what do you think about that? Is this a, 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 a great way to go with this? In principle, it is, Dan, but you're overlooking two key facts. They had no access to adrenaline, and they had a car line there that actually had all the electricity they needed. So in theory, great idea. In practice, hard to implement under the stress of, um, you know, Hong Kong being flattened. I mean, where are you going to – you're going to run to the nearest hospital and just put all the adrenaline together? It's a little tricky from a logistics point of view, I fear. But a brilliant hypothetical, Denon. I think we can all agree it's a brilliant hypothetical, although the logistics— I can agree with the brilliant hypothetical. Okay. All right. Well, so let's move on to Godzilla. Speaking of brilliant hypotheticals, um, I did a— <laughs> Speaking of brilliant hypotheticals, I'm going to watch this segue. I did a great episode on Cthulhu for my Fascinating Nouns podcast, and Cthulhu, who lives underwater, is very similar to Godzilla, who also lives underwater. Uh, so you got to check that out. I'm going to put a link to that, to that episode in the show notes. But, you know, it begs the question, what kind of animal is Godzilla? Is he a lizard? Is he an amphibian? He seems to have spines like a stegosaurus. He's able to breathe underwater. Does he have gills? I don't know. Uh, this is a, a pretty interesting question. People think he's a lizard, reptile. I have no idea, but I feel like, Ben, you've got some sort of idea what he is. Well, you know, if I think back to some of the fun uh, opening sequences of these movies. It seems he's a, a mutated Komodo dragon because that's all you always see the uh, nuclear mushroom cloud over a Komodo dragon is the classic uh, shot for his creation. But it doesn't seem quite right 
you know, he is bipedal and there aren't really bipedal lizards. I mean, I get, there are some that can kind of do it. Like you think of the, uh, the Jesus lizard that, uh, that lives in, that can like walk on water when it walks really quickly, but it's not, I, I don't think they walk, they don't walk on two legs all the time. That's just kind of when they're going really quick. So it's really confusing in that sense. There aren't bipedal, uh, amphibians or lizards that I'm aware of. So I'm not really sure. It kind of makes me think it's been mutated with something else too. Like maybe it's a cross between like a kangaroo and a, and a lizard or something like that. You know, some really bad stuff happened with the radiation. Well, when, when you're thinking about mixtures, I, as you were talking, Ben, I couldn't help but think that it's an amphibious bird, which sounds to me a lot like an amphibious car. Right, you know, you build a car that can both go and water it on the land, um, or the amphibious, um, you know, boats, whatever. No, the boats are always amphibious. Um, the <laughs> amphibious bus is what I attempted to say. <laughs> this is really an interesting day for me with words and language. The ducks. Um, I feel like you, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> they're called ducks. The ducks, you mean, the amphibious, the, the, they're like army vehicles. Yeah. yeah, I think they're called ducks. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, the ducks. But one of the things I noticed, I was paying close attention there are many moments in this where I felt like Godzilla's neck was moving in an interesting way that implied an underlying gill structure. That is what I sensed. And I'm going to have to go back and do some deep research on this. But I do think he must have some fundamental gill-like structure to be able to stay and live underwater the length of time he does. There's no other explanation here. So he is definitely amphibious-like. Um, and Ben, as you described him being bipedal, I really felt like, oh, Bird-like, amphibian-like, those are the things we bring together. Um, of course, instead of feathers, he has scales that are very, very hard to get through. Um, does this make you feel any better, Dan, or are you still nervous about what he is? No, I think that that makes me feel better. I mean, I think that those are good. Those are, are it's a very good starting point because I think he is, he's probably a brand new, unique creature that's never existed before, but he has some of these other pieces of other animals. And I think in some ways, when you start to think about what he is, when they make that mecha Godzilla, you know, you have to figure out how does Godzilla move? What are his powers? And creating that in robot form, I think is difficult and probably requires a, a, a knowledge of what animals animals he derived from, but maybe not. And what's interesting about this particular creature, the Mechagodzilla, is I love that it's, you know, a, a VR psychic, you know, brain-powered uplink, which is similar, you know, Neuralink is powering monkeys with their with their brain chips. Uh, so that's, I don't know if there's, this is the advancement of that. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of fun things going on there. And I know you're going to love this, Dennett, and, and Ben especially is going to love this. How do they short out that guy? They dump whiskey all over the motherboard. I know, Ben, you love shorting out computers and giving them those complex paradoxical algorithms. Um, what did you think about the whiskey use here? I liked it because if you know that the computer, that Mechagodzilla requires this computer to operate, there's not, you know, something, a liquid is a great way to damage a machine as long as it's like kind of a salty liquid that it can uh, create those shorts. Uh so I think, you know, whiskey, I think would qualify with that. Whiskey probably has some electrolytes in it that could create those shorts and damage that motherboard. So I think it's the right way to go. So, Dan, I was really hoping they would just pull a plug, um, but maybe the plug was hard to find. So I really appreciated the quick thinking use of the whiskey. Um, it proved to me, you know, computer security is an interesting thing. They could not figure out the password and they got locked out. You only need the password if you're trying to get in to break the thing. 
which their whole goal was breaking the computer. There are many ways to physically damage a computer without knowing the password. Right. So I really appreciated that part of the movie. Um, it was it was very satisfying to me. Um, I thought you were going somewhere else a little different, Dan. You know what I found fascinating. You mentioned the neural link and you mentioned the robot piece, but they kind of glossed over it. But it was clear because of this weird blue power that the creature itself was still somehow alive and using its bones as the conduit, um, it managed to take over um, and basically blow up the human that was trying to control it, which I thought was an interesting twist on the design of the Mecha Godzilla. Yeah, I, well, I really questioned like what it implies about the Mecha Godzilla. It, it implies that there must have been some sort of AI structure built into the Mecha Godzilla so that it could take over like that. You know, I think it's not maybe the best idea to put a self-thinking brain in your giant ro murderous robot. You know, you should probably have it be fully remote control and not give it that kind of capability. Well, I definitely think you should power the robot by a murderer, which you can take out, instead of giving it a murderous brain, because then it becomes a murderer and it's 30 feet tall. So I, I think if you're dealing with your sociopath, you got to choose where you put them. I think that's what you're saying, Ben, if I can put, if I can, if I can extrapolate a little bit. Um, but, you know, speaking of murder <laughs> on a mass scale, we see that fight that they have where all three of these titans are engaged in, in battle. And it seems to me that they level about 80% of Hong Kong. I, I, th that's a rough estimate based on, on the number of buildings that I see them that crash into and destroy completely. In the Avengers movie, they complained because a couple of aliens destroyed a couple of skyscrapers in New York. These guys level Hong Kong. Ben, I know you did some of the numbers here. What's the body count on this? Because this was devastating. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It, it seems specifically that they, they were fighting on Hong Kong Island which is the, the small island that's uh, south of like Hong Kong proper, south of uh, Kowloon Bay. So 1.3 million people live on this island, and about uh, 600,000 people commute in every day from the mainland for work. So assuming that 80% uh, is right there, you know, you're talking about almost 2 million people on the island. If 80% of it gets leveled, you know, you're you're looking at one point, you know, one and a half million people or so in crushed buildings. Uh, it's not a good situation. Well, you know, I do have to ask though. I I don't I just don't know, and I don't know if either of you know. It's something I realized I should have looked at before. Do they have any basements? Because yes, the buildings are crushed. Um, they clearly had a Titan shelter design because there was a sign for the Titan shelter. Um, I'm always fascinated by the number of people that stand around watching large things fight. Instead of, I, I, you know, me, I don't need to see that. I'm running to either the nearest Titan shelter or at least a basement. Um, I recognize that buildings can collapse down into the basement and then you're kind of trapped. But you've got a shot at least in the basement or the Titan shelter. We saw a shot of people getting herded into the Titan uh, safety zones and they had some warning, right? Like we knew God, they knew Godzilla was coming because they had like this Godzilla detection thing and the Monarch people got there ahead of time. But at the same time, when we see Godzilla and Kong about to square off, there's all these cars driving around on the roads between them. <laughs> so clearly people didn't get the message and didn't actually seek shelter. <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on there, but uh, it seems like people aren't listening to the uh, Titan uh, warning system that's going off here. 
we really just have to look at the United States for, for a great example. You know, there were lots of fallout shelters in the 50s in case the commies came and dropped a nuke on us. I'm guessing that even with a large network of fallout shelters, we didn't quite have enough to put the entire population of the United States into a fallout shelter. Just a guess. I don't know. Um, also, there's lots of gooseneckers out there, Denon. Don't ever be surprised by what human beings will look at while in Im- impending doom, impending peril. Uh, you know, it's very, human behavior is very, very strange. And speaking of the very, very strange, we are going to do something very, very strange on this episode, which is normally we have an errors, additions, and omissions section. We're going to omit that, and we're going to put in a weird science thing here, a weird science section, because... Even given Denon's pedigree of explaining weird pop culture science, and you've done this for a long time, Denon, this this movie shorted out your brain like none other, like whiskey on a motherboard, your brain went kaput. What about this movie really drove you to the loony bin? The number one thing, no matter how hard I could do it, I could not explain the reverse gravity thing they went through. I mean, that was just shocking from so many aspects. I did enjoy um, the little cars underground that went from apparently, um, I guess, Florida to Hong Kong. That was interesting. Very intrigued by that. But first of all, how you get reverse gravity, what it even means. Gravity is attracting. That's all it does. We know how gravity works in spherical objects, which the Earth happens to be mostly spherical. Um, what what this even means at any level boggled my mind. Um, you could get stronger gravity. You could get a very, very um, sharp gravity field. There was lots of ways you could have gone with this to make it exciting and stressful and kill people who weren't prepared and require special cars without reversing gravity. Um, and, and the odd thing was um, it was really unclear what it meant because I think when they got inside their hollow earth, Gravity was actually still pointed to the center of the Earth, except on the top part. And so it reversed and it reversed again, I think. So I just... I, I, Dad, I don't even know what happened in the movie, never mind how to explain it. <laughs> well, and this is coming from a man who perfectly explained how a cartoon portable hole works. So that's really telling you something here. Uh, what did you think about what did anything blow your mind, uh, Ben, in this movie? Well, I mean, I, I, I agree on the hollow Earth thing, you know. I, you know, we saw a giant hole in the middle of the earth and then they get there and it seems like they're like a couple thousand feet apart. That made no sense. But uh, on top of that, you know, we see all this stuff with, say, uh, Kong being carried around by the helicopters to get to Antarctica in the first place. And there weren't nearly enough helicopters there. You know, you mentioned earlier how much uh, Kong weighs. Uh, you know, he'd be like f- over 5,000 tons. And each of those uh, helicopters or or Osprey. Well, they had both they had both Chinooks and V twenty two Ospreys uh, carrying him. Each of them can only hold eight tons, so you need over almost seven hundred of those aircraft to carry him. Not what we saw in the picture, which was like maybe twenty or so. So that was another. I I, I love I love that bed. Um, and, and, you know, when you go to, to numbers like that, you mentioned how far apart they were underground. Dan, the other thing that just threw me is they come in at Antarctica. They travel through this strange reverse gravity field that causes all sorts of weird special effects. Now, those were cool. I like the weird special effects. Um, somehow, Godzilla knows exactly where they are. And just by chance, they're right under Hong Kong. 
and he blows a hole in the ground with his atomic breath straight to them. And I believe, I, I could be wrong, I was under the impression Kong and Godzilla looked at each other and roared. Now, they may not have seen each other. It may just have been the secret Titan sense. But they roared through this hole that is suddenly connecting things that apparently was easy to get back out of. I mean, Kong just climbed out with his axe um, where he fell through the other hole. So I, it, it's all... Very, very confusing, though. I think I like the floating rocks. That was kind yeah. of fun. Did he even climb through? It kind of seems like he fell through. So uh, I, He used the axe, Ben. Uh, okay. <laughs> I thought he slid down for some of it. But either way, it, you'd have to climb for most of it. So that would be a whole nother problem. It, it would take a while for Kong to climb uh, 6,000 miles from the center of the earth. I will tell you that, I mean, if you're looking for a good scientific discussion of what the center of the earth looks like, watch our journey to the center of the earth episode, which at the time I thought was fantastical. And now it seems uh, more in line with reality than this movie. Uh, so I think that's, if there's anything else, if you if you really want to see uh, Denon Broken, watch this movie and figure out how, how the heck, if you can't, we've explained some crazy stuff. And if we can't explain this, that tells you what's going on in this movie. But if we've forgotten anything and you want to get in touch, with us, you can find us on Twitter at FGGBTPod or on Facebook at FGGBT. But you can get in touch with us individually. Denon, where can people find you? Well, people can find me just by switching my name for Twitter or Instagram. It's at Denon Michael. Uh, but if you want to find me on Facebook, you got to stick a prof in there at Prof Denon Michael. Well, I know definitely we're not going to find you in the center of the earth. And if we do, it won't be through inverse gravity. I know that much is true. That Prof Den and Michael thing is almost as confusing as inverse gravity. Um, but Ben, people want to get in touch with you to explain some of this stuff. How can they do that? You can get in touch with me on all the major social media networks at bseepser. How do you spell that? B-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. And I can be found on Twitter at Daniel J. Glenn, on Instagram at the Daniel J. Glenn, and on Facebook at Analytical Mastermind. So remember, not only does our conversation contain powerful creatures fighting for control of the earth, but this podcast contains powerful scientific information that should not be abused. Remember, we always tell you, you want to be a superhero, not a supervillain. So until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. Now, of course, if you're listening to this episode and you've gotten this far, you're going to want to subscribe. Well, how do you do that? We're on all the major podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, and Spotify. But if you're not already subscribed to those platforms, I made it easy for you. Go to our website, fgbt.com. You'll find links to those subscribe buttons and also links to our social media, both for the show and for our individual experts, the members of the Brain Trust. That's all right there fgbt.com. And before you leave, don't forget to check out our other episodes. You can find the link at the top of the page for everything we've got, and you'll notice that we've got both a YouTube version and an audio-only version, depending on what you like. We got it for you, and if you do like those videos, you can go ahead and subscribe to those as well. We're on youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And once again, if you like this show, you're going to like everything that I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to find out more. Thank you for listening.